Hello and welcome to Nurturing Neurodiversity with me, Sammy Ann from Matt for Maze. And Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. We'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we speak from today. Where I am in Nam or Melbourne, I acknowledge the Boon people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging and recognise sovereignty was never ceded. Where I'm in the Gambri or Canberra, I acknowledge the Ngunnawal people, traditional custodians of the land on which we speak from today and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples listening here today with us. As you may know, I'm Sammy Ann, parent guide and founder of Map for Maze. Over the past 16 years, I have immersed myself in the world of learning and development as a student, a teacher, a mother and a mentor. I have explored how we learn through the lens of education, psychology, neurodiversity and disability. As well as documented learning by way of a Bachelor of Early Childhood Education and a Graduate Diploma in Psychology, I am also an avid consumer of books, articles and others' experiences. I love to share the knowledge I have gained over the years and find that one or two key pieces of information can make a world of difference to the families I work with. My clients are usually parents who are seeking guidance in the best ways to support their children in the realms of neurodivergence, learning and behaviour. I generally don't have all of the answers, but I do have plenty of specific questions which serves to guide you to your own answers that fit you and your family best. And as I already mentioned, I'm Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. I work with those who are neurodivergent to help them navigate their landscape throughout life. Over the last six years, I've created the Family Joy Program, successfully completed many times by many families. I've been interviewed by both national radio and overseas, and also presented at several conferences, both nationally and overseas. I'm currently completing a graduate diploma in counseling to better support my clients. Typically, I support children and their families through to young adults who are all struggling to fit into the world around them. I help them gain clarity, self-love, the skill set to take control of their lives and feel confident in the journey they are on. I work directly with clients who often compliment me with the words, you just get it. And I do just get it because I have both personal and professional experience of living with neurodivergence myself and having neurodivergent family members. I love what I do and it fills my me up to work in this space. We've come together to speak about nurturing neurodiversity, all the ways we can create a truly inclusive society. With this podcast, we aim to educate, inspire and create social change. Through sharing stories, experiences and research, we challenge current systems and open dialogue on what we can all do to create change. We hope you will join us on our journey. and welcome to Nurturing Neurodiversity with me, Sammy Ann from Matt for Maze and Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. We are joining together today, just the two of us. We thought it was about time that we jumped on and just had a bit of a chat the way that we do every week before we actually record our interviews. So um, we thought that the best thing to, for us to talk about right now um, is parenting because I think that's really what we are passionate about supporting people with because parenting is the thing that's going to change the world. Parenting is 
raising the next generation of humans that are going to take over the planet and you know all that we have left our children to deal with um and there is a really really big shift happening at the moment with parenting we have been in an era of behaviorism we have been in an era of um you know rewards and punishments and discipline and all of these things and there is still very much a belief in our society that that is what parenting needs to be um, and but the shift is coming where we're really moving from that old paradigm into a new paradigm of connection and relationship and that's really where both Patricia and I come from when we are supporting our clients when we are parenting ourselves um, where we're really aiming to embrace the new paradigm and and you know align with what recent research actually talks about um, in terms of child development and what our children need um, and, you know, and that goes for all children that we're talking about here too. Um, but of course, today we will specifically talk about um, different things that we can do and, and ways that we can um, support our neurodiverse kids, especially through our parenting. Um, we both have a strong belief that, you know, parenting is the most important job in the world. And I think we live by that. Um, and it's also reflective of why we do what we do. Patricia, did you have anything you wanted to add to the introduction to this topic today? Yeah, um, yeah, what exactly what you were saying that parenting is the most important job in the world, but also too to remember that there is no manual or handbook for parenting and that there is no wrong way or right way. And for parents to remember to give yourself some slack and to be gentle on yourselves uh, because you're doing the best job that you can with the with the information that you've got. So um, I think that that's really, really important to remind parents to be gentle. This is particularly when we're parenting um, our neurodivergent kids. You know, the world's a lot harder for these children, as we know. So therefore, parents have a lot more to negotiate and try and work out what sometimes is happening with behaviours that might not be immediately obvious. Mm, mm. And through a pandemic too, right? Like a worldwide pandemic where, <laughs> you know, it's unprecedented times at the moment. Um, we're all really strung out. We're all, you know, things are tough. Cost of living is rising. Mm. Um, you know, we're all having to work 10 times harder at our jobs because everybody's sick. And it's just, there's a lot happening right now. Um, and so I think, you know, what we want to really bring today to the conversation is a little bit of a, I suppose, a, a dive into um, our philosophies around it, but also some really practical strategies and things that you can actually be doing with your kids at home every day um, and sort of work that just into your way of being with your kids where, where it will hopefully, you know, ease, ease tension and, and make things at home at least um, a bit easier and a bit of a you know a more like getting back to the fun I guess getting back to you know mm. enjoying each other um and you know you know remembering the reasons why we love each other um and you know why we think you know our families are great so it's funny because when you said about getting back to the fun you know what I wrote down was joy yeah. like bringing you, you know bringing yeah enjoying yeah. enjoying yeah. your family yeah. life yeah. yeah yeah like you yeah, built a whole program a whole paradigm around around That's right. supporting families to get back to that. And I think that really is what this way of parenting does because it, it gets you to focus on it pretty regularly. Um, and it doesn't make, it doesn't make, you know, parenting a, a battleground. It doesn't may, mean that parents mm. have to have the authority and, you know, be in charge of, you know, policing their children's behavior. Like it's, it's a very different viewpoint. Um, there is a reason I think why we kind of automatically divert to that rewards punishment type of thing 
um, there's a few layers in it, but you know, a lot of us were brought up that way. A lot of us were parented that way. So, so as parents ourselves, we tend to, you know, especially when we're really tired and we are, you know, at, at the end of our tether, that's, that's what will often come out is like, you know, just because I said so, I hear myself saying, because I said so. And I'm like, why am I saying that? That's not how this works. But it comes out because you're, you know, lots of reasons that, that you know, you're stressed and you're overwhelmed and all of the things yourself. And so that will often come out in those times. And there's a reason why that's what we revert to, because it's, it's not just that, you know, the way we were raised impacts us. That's a big part of it. But also, you know, there's still an expectation within society because we have access to so much information now, we we understand more of what the what we you know what will be, what will work better, I suppose, for our children. But there's a lot of shoulds attached to that, and so when we feel the pressure of the shoulds, often that just adds more pressure. And so instead of actually easing the burden, it adds to the burden, and so we feel a lot of pressure to do all of the things. But while we are you know shooting ourselves into how we should treat our children. And, and, you know, the ways that we should be calm and, and present and, and supporting them and all of these sorts of things. We are also still experiencing the judgment and the shoulds of society that children should still behave. They should still have mm. this magical ability to be quiet inside and to, you know, walk around the grocery shop and not pick everything off the shelves or, you know, not be throwing tantrums when they don't get they, what they want, which is all normal child behaviour, but we're expected to, like, squash that when we're out in public. Um, and so I think the pressures of the, you know, feeling being judged in, in a public place in, in society uh, on top of, you know, knowing that there's different ways of doing it to how we were raised, but also sometimes not really being sure of where we should be. And like you said, no, no guidebook. I think there's no guidebook, but there certainly are a lot of books now. <laughs> there certainly are a lot of resources that we can access. And I feel like sometimes it can be very overwhelming the amount of information we have access to, to know where do we even start. Mm. So I think that's, mm. you know, it's important to highlight. So people, you know, th this is not, this is not an easy thing that we are talking about doing, I guess. No. And, and, you know, and to, you know, coming back to that, that, you know, around the behaviors is that, and I know that people that listen to this podcast regularly will know that we, you know, we emphasize how behaviors are, um, you know, behaviours are often trying to express a need that's not, not been met, like behaviours that we find confrontational or difficult to deal with, a, a, um, you know, a manifestation of needs that are not being met for the child. But if you fall into those habits, like you were saying, like the because I said so, or you just get not, you know, again, that thing of being gentle on yourself, it's okay because, you know, we're talking about new, paradigm, new paradigms of behaviour here because we have been so conditioned by that rewards and punishment model. We were, we would, most people listening to this podcast would have, would have been brought up by that way. Yeah. And um, even if they weren't and, parented specifically in that way, which would be very rare, if they weren't parented like that, yeah. we live in a society where we still operate in that, you know, reward yeah. punishment, like, you, you, yeah. you know, you're rewarded for your work and not for other things that are, you know, that are actually important. Like our values as, as people are generally around, you know, happiness and kindness and generosity mm. and all these things. But in the, in the capitalist society that we have, that's mm. not what's rewarded. You're rewarded for, you know, turning yeah. up to what, like the production, the production value that you have. Yes, productivity. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, in terms of your working ability. Um, and mm. then all of the, you know, all of the unpaid work. And as mothers, we know this more than probably anybody. 
that the, mm. the you know the amount of work that you're required to do that is unpaid and unrecognized and unvalued um, mm. is 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 immense and um, mm. you know a big a big part of why we feel so much pressure <laughs> a lot of the time because we're also still trying to do the productivity part of society that means we're contributing and earning a wage and all of these sorts of things. And often in these times, we, we have to be working as mothers because we can't, like, we the cost of living is such that we can't generally afford yeah. to work. Um, and and, and in a, even in a lot of cases, it's, you know, we're, we're not working for a whole lot by the time we've paid childcare fees and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, yeah. But it still is, you know, it still is something that seems to be required. So it's, it's, it's a, there's a whole lot of layers and things that go into, you know, why we can find it hard. But, um yeah, like you said, having compassion for yourself when you do fall mm. into those patterns, but also recognizing where the where, when the pattern is happening, um, and I think a lot of what we'll talk about today is is going to be helpful in in being able to recognize that, and then knowing what to do with that, like knowing mm. how we can start to repair that with our kids, and and knowing how you know actually we can just be open and honest in our conversation with our kids that you know I'm learning a different way to to do this, and it's not always easy, and sometimes I get it wrong, and that's also okay. Um, yeah. But I think our kind of catchphrase, which anyone who does listen to the podcast will know, is that behaviour is communication. We talk mm. about it so much. And I think, you know, to try to, I, I, for me in my head, in my parenting, I find that a really great thing to just have in my brain to, to refocus on regularly. Because if I remember that behaviour is communication, it really helps me take that pause and go, okay. I'm reacting to the behavior in front of me, which is causing, you know, it's escalating the problem. Whereas if I can just pull out of that for a second, figure out what's going on for my child behind that behavior, then we'll actually be getting somewhere. Um, And it's, it's a really easy thing to remember. If you remember behavior is communication, if you come back to that, it can really simplify everything else. Yes, we have lots of tools and we have lots of strategies and we have lots of things we can be doing. But if we just come back to that and come back to that, I, I need to be in a state of curiosity. If I can bring mm. myself back to a state of curiosity about my child and what's happening for my child, everything else will come from there. Mm. Um, and what you're, sorry, Sammy, and I was thinking too. So what are you saying about, you know, that state of curiosity? That's absolutely right. But see, I think too, it just came to my mind then when we you're talking is for parents to realise too that, when I'm working uh, with fa- with parents, I often talk to them about your like your window of what is and, and if like to visualize like your window of what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. So, for example, in the like first thing like in the morning when you're fresh, you haven't been at work all day, or you know whatever stress is coming on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and your and your child is like banging on the pots and pans and playing music and this, that, and the other, your window, your window of tolerance for that is, is, is huge. Right. Right. But then if it's the end of the, if it's the end of a work day, or even if it's not the end of the work day, if you're, you're at home, uh, you know, you've been like maybe managing certain, like certain behaviors or other things, like all of this, and your child does that at the end of the day at four o'clock in the afternoon, your window of tolerance to that is going to be completely different to your window of tolerance in the morning. And that's even what's really important to remember when you come coming back to that, what you were saying about sitting back and being curious with of like, and your child's behavior is re- like just remembering where you're at and yeah. knowing that your window of tolerance is lower and that's okay. Like that's 
fine because you're, you know, exhausted or you're also you know, human, right? You're also human. Yeah, you're, you're human. Yeah. So that's what's, and I think that's that's something that because like if you're always trying to chase this perfect model of what you should be like as a parent. And you're not remembering things like those that, that you know, the windows like the, that where you are at and things like that and being forgiving of yourself. That's, uh, you know, that that's really, really huge too in, in, you know, looking at the, you know, for the mental health of the parent and then feeling good about themselves and things like that too, that they, you know, that, yeah, because I think that that window of it, that what's acceptable and what's not, that tolerance uh, really varies and can vary from hour to hour. Absolutely. And it's a really great vision yeah. to happen. A couple of things popped up while you're talking about that, Patricia. First of all, I think that it really highlights that everything we talk about in, in parenting, our tips and our strategies and our things that we want to be doing for our kids, all of that applies to doing it for ourselves as well. Because at the same time mm. as we're parenting our kids, we're also reparenting ourselves. Mm. Um, and it's really, and, and having that compassion for our kids, we also really need to extend that compassion to ourselves to know that we are really, you know, if especially if we're choosing to do things differently from how we were parented, from even how people around us, friends and family parent right now, yeah, um, that can be really tough in itself. Um, and we will talk about this more at the end as well. It's something that we want to sort of finish this episode on. But I just wanted to highlight that I think everything that we talk about also we can apply to ourselves and we should be doing as well, um, you know, exactly. in the moment with our kids also doing that with us. So I think that's really important. What, what you're yeah. talking about there is that visual of, of your window of tolerance is checking in with yourself and going, yeah. why am I reacting to this right now? Is this to do with my child or is this to do with me? And me. nine times out of 10, it's, it's to do with you. But also... Um, the other thing I wanted to point out there too was that, you know, your, your window of tolerance, like you said, can change hour to hour. And it's, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like just typical things where it's typical adult stresses. It can also be sensory things because a lot of the time, mm. especially when we're working That's with neurodiverse families, is that the parents themselves are neurodiverse. And so we often have, um, you know, higher sensory needs or you know we need different types of input or we need less of different types of input depending on you know how we are and how we experience the world so the banging of the pots and pans might be really great for some parents and it might be always unacceptable to some other parents yeah so, you know those sorts of things or like if you know that that's going to happen putting things in place where you're okay this is a normal child behavior is there something I can do for myself to make this more tolerable it might be having you know noise cancelling headphones or it might be you know you can do that at Nana's house, but not here. Or you know what I mean? Like all of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you Absolutely, can yeah. To know that that's something that's actually really triggering for me. And that's also mm. okay. It's okay to have boundaries around that with my kids. My kids are not yeah. going to suffer if they don't get to bang on the pots and pans. Like my kids have never banged on the pots and pans because <laughs> I, can't I can't do it. And I work in yeah. childcare, right? So like I am exposed to a lot of noise, but for some oh, yeah. reason banging on the pots and pans is not. Not a thing I want in my uh, so yeah. No, but it's okay to have boundaries around those things because they get they will get those the the things that they're exploring in those moments they can access in other ways. But if we're aware That's of that, right. then we can provide the access to to the other ways that is more tolerable. Yeah. Um, so being as curious about your own triggers and your own behaviors as you mm. are about your child's is really really important. So I love that mm. that you know that mm. easy visual to have in your head about. Where's my, where's my top and bottom here? And is it really small because of all the things that are happening? Yeah. And what can I do? And we'll talk about more about what we can do, some practical things about what we can do for ourselves in order to widen mm. that, that tolerance level. Um, yeah. At, you know, at any time, depending on what, what's happening for us. Um, yeah. 
I also wanted to mention we just I just briefly touched on then how you know when we're talking about our neurodiverse families that I think particularly when we're talking about this new paradigm of parenting it's really about it's building the connection and building the relationship and then and part of that has to be about meeting your child where they're at and I think this Mm. is really particularly important for our neurodiverse kids because often their development happens in different ways in unexpected Mm. ways it's not linear no child's development is linear but but often you know we are we are worried and we're feeling that extra pressure for our neurodiverse mm. kids because the society has these levels of like your child should mm. be doing this at this age and that at this age. And if mm. they are behind in air quotes, that expectation that can, we can feel that pressure as parents that we're doing something wrong. And also we can have that real anxiety for our child that then, you know, things are not quite right or that, you know, um, they're going to be, you know, impacted somehow when they're an adult because they're not reaching this milestone right now. Um, yeah and so there's a whole other level there for our neurodiverse kids where they are already feeling judged in you know in our in our kindergartens in our schools in our high schools especially where Mm. if they're not meeting the level then there's a lot of judgment around that there's a lot of Mm. um, you know they feel that that they get the message basically from everywhere Mm. that that they're not good enough or that there's something wrong Mm. with them Um, Mm. and so this you know when we talk about strategies and tools for for you know coming mm-hmm. coming to our child in relationship it's really about loving them and embracing them and appreciating them for who they are right now for mm. for you know for where they're at right now um and really actively pushing away the expectations because we have to actually actively push them away because they come at us from everywhere and they're in yeah. us as well and so sometimes we can project that onto our kids without meaning to yeah yeah and you know just going you're going back to what you were saying um you know about the behaviors and Mm. you know and the judgment piece too is with you know and understanding like for example where um sorry remember remembering where your where your child is at Mm. so actually while you were just talking about that I've just I pulled up just have pulled up just to to read out here to our audience just to remember about executive functioning, which, you know, we talked a lot about in the interview with did with Sam Pollock. Mm. And it's, um, and just to explain like to our audience, because not everybody always knows like exactly what executive functioning is or executive, ex- the executive functioning age. So the executive age is the child's age on how his or her brain is working, right? So neurodiverse children, and adults are on average 30% behind in their executive age. So this includes their ability to be able to regulate their emotions, body impulses, social awareness, and general maturity. It can even be greater than 30% depending on the person. And this delay lasts into adulthood and affects relationships and careers, and that's lifelong. So human brains reach their highest point of maturity in their early 30s. But for for neurodiverse people, this is where the maturity stops. So even if they're delayed, so to give you an idea, so like the the human brain reaches its point of maturity of, of the age of 30. But so but like so I've got a chart, I've got a chart here. So a 30 person neurodiverse person who's 30 years old has the executive functioning of a 20 year old and but that is also too is where the brain actually stops maturing so for an adhd person or or um neurodivergent person that will be that will be lifelong so 
And then to give you like another example is for a 16 year old, their, their age will be that, their executive functioning age will be that of a 10 year old. So these, these are the things like, and you know how we're talking about behaviors and we're putting like, and you know, like you were talking like the judgment or like the, the shoulds of parenting. So, you know, the way a, six, a neurodiverse 16 year old might react to something in a public situation mm. uh, won't be, um, oh, I'm just trying to think of the word, but won't be as like as, as the rest of like society yeah. will expect. And they'll be standing there yeah. judging the 16 year old thinking why. But then that's to remember that they've got the the executive functioning age of a of a ten year old and that the, and their social awareness is also going to be at that age too or their their impulse the way that they react to the situation mm. and I think that the interesting thing in that too is that generally in society so there'll be there are people that really understand who have you know done the research who've done the courses who who are qualified in these areas to really understand yeah. what what expect what developmental expectations would be what what would be normal for a three-year-old what would be normal for a five-year-old all of those sorts of things um in the current you know paradigm that we have but Mm. i also think that in general society we tend to have much higher expectations of what kids are capable of than, (laughs) than actually even what you know science understands currently that they can do so things like it's interesting because i was listening to the radio they were talking about it recently on mainstream radio that um you know there's been a thing come out recently that you know asking our kids to share at two and three and four years old is actually completely inappropriate for where their developmental stage is at and i was listening along going yeah i know Mm. (laughs) because this is what i did this is my area of expertise but yeah these these radio hosts were going what do you mean of course you make them share of course you you know of course you talk them through it you've got to teach them that they can't just have everything and it's like well they're not understanding the nuance in that conversation is that you can you can explain your expectations and you can explain that you know that it's that that we're going to do a timer but you have to understand that you're going to have to actively do that with your kids until they're probably 10 11 years old because that Mm. part is not even developing yet until they hit five or six and then if Mm. we have you know a brain that's wired differently for that there are there are other you know, links happening. There are other, you know, impacts into in the brain that's happening that can that can make that process even harder again. And so, I really think that understanding what we mean by you know by developmental stages is that it was always meant it was always intended to be a guideline to sort of know if there was something else going on that you might need to support your child with more. But it's about understanding where your child's at. It's not about judging that. It's mm. and we take that on and say, well, if they're not there, then there's then there's something wrong. That's mm. like our automatic thing. And well, no, actually, it just means that there's that then we might need to be teaching them in a different way. We might need to be supporting them in a different way. It's it, it's meant to be information. And so, like as teachers, um, you know, mm. teachers and educators, often we're taking that information, and going, okay, well, how do I need to change my teaching in order to support this child? Not how do I make the child do the thing that they're supposed to do. No, yeah. how do we actually support them better? How do we need to change the way that we're providing the information or presenting it so that mm. they can actually access that? Um, mm. That's what it's supposed to be about. That's how it's supposed to work. And so the same thing goes in our parenting, whereas if our child's struggling with something, if there's a behaviour that keeps coming up and that's something that's really triggering for us or that's something that's unexpected or that's something that we don't think should be happening is, is to look into that and go, okay, well, for their age and developmental level, is that normal Mm. if it's normal 
then all we need to be doing is going, okay, where's the boundaries at here as a parent? I'm not willing for you to hit me. You can go and hit the pillow or, you know what I mean? Like there's ways to, you know, to, to come at behaviour that's that's harmful. But if the behaviour is not harming anybody, if it's a stim, for example, and they're flapping their hands around and, and spinning on yeah. their toes, is that harming anybody? And so therefore do we actually need to change it or, or do we need to impact it or do we just let them be? And these yeah. kinds of understanding is, is, you know, is what's really important because the, the more you understand the behaviour, that's why we talk about being curious, right? That's why we talk about being in a place of curiosity about all kinds of behaviours because if we can be curious about it and figure out and for our, for our own selves understanding the why behind it, if we understand the why and it's not causing any harm and it's actually helpful to them, which stimming behaviours generally are because they're self-regulating, then, you know, then, then we have the understanding and the capacity to go, okay, this, this is normal for my child. This is where they're mm. at and this is why they're doing it. And I'm willing that there's nothing, there's not causing any harm to anyone or themselves. And so therefore that's not behaviour I need to change. I need, what I do need to change is my reaction to it. What mm. I might need to work on is, is, is the environment around them to support that behaviour, you know, all mm. of those sorts of things and using it as tools to work out, you know, how, how to then support, how to support them better, I think. Um, yeah. And so when we're always coming at it from that angle, I think it's going to be a lot easier to, to really understand our child. And I also think that's why we talk about the parent being the expert in their child. Yeah. Even though they'll often come to us and they'll go to other professionals in the industry for advice and support around what's happening. Generally what, you know, well, the way that I view our, our relationship with clients is that we're coming there, we're coming there with information based on experience and based on mm. knowledge. And we mm. can say, here's some things that we've seen work for different people. But in the end, it's going to be you're going to, the, the most important part of that relationship is you communicating to me what your child needs. Like yeah. you rebounding and, and talking about what's going on. And sometimes we can, because we're outside of the situation, we can see things, we can see the patterns, we can identify the patterns easily because we're not in it. We're not in it mm. every day. And so it's easier to see from the outside. Okay, I can see how that is triggering that, is triggering that. And then here's the pattern. Yeah. Here's how we can change it at the start so that it, you know, it, it doesn't get to that point. Mm. But all we're really doing is is helping is, is being like that rebounding person, right? Is is being someone that the, the parent is bouncing the ideas around with and and you know getting the support and, and getting the you know the ability to, to unload and offload all of yeah. the pressure so that then they it's it's a really a, re, a way that they can mm. see themselves regulating in order to be mm. with their child. Mm. Um and I think we kind of we view people in positions of authority as though they have the answers and that we are the people that need to take that advice on board and that's not yeah. the way that we work and it's not the way that it should work it's it, the parent and the child well the child ultimately is the expert in themselves but yeah. the parent being the person who is there with them all the time and learning to read their, their child's behavior and learning to understand what's happening for them is the person that's going to be able to best support them and make those decisions and when we're looking as a parent for outside support it's generally because we're like I'm out of ideas here I need some more ideas and then the ideas will come and then you filter that through your experience and your understanding of your child and work out, okay, well, how am I going to do that that's actually going to work mm -hmm. for my child? And mm -hmm. that's where we really want to support parents to get to is that knowledge and that understanding mm -hmm. that they do have that capacity. Mm -hmm. They do have that expert knowledge, even though mm -hmm. they might not have done the courses, they might not have done everything else, but they're mm -hmm. in it every day with their child and observing what's happening. And that, that felt sense of what they need is often mm. um, is often the right thing. Yeah, It's just that and everything it, else comes and gets in the way of it. Exactly. And then that comes to the point that for parents to remember that you are the best possible advocate for your child. So this is 
because I'm always saying to parents, you know your child better than anybody else. So like, you know, how you were talking about people in authority and things like that. So often we'll place people like teachers uh, and specialists like psychologists or pediatricians or whatever as the authority, okay, that they know more than me, but they don't know your child. They're not living with your child every day and they don't know what maybe you know what reasonable adjustments need to be made or accommodations need to be made for that for that person whether they're a little person or an or an, an you know an older child what they need to be able to thrive to be able to thrive or to be able to learn or take in information and things like that but you as their parent know that because you you live with them every day you see them every day nobody else no one else has that privilege but you and I think that that's what's so important to remember and that's what I always say to my parents when we're you know looking at um getting supports put in place in school for for children you know to help them you know to help their learning and support them and to feel safe in the school environment too to not feel anxious is that you know you know your child better than anyone so even if if a teacher like for example in um, an individual learning plan meeting puts a strategy forward to be able to support your child to learn but you know that that strategy is not going to work you need for you to have the confidence to speak up and say no that's not going to work because just because they're the authority figure doesn't mean that they know that they, they'll they'll have they will know tasks and strategies but also but but then they don't know your child and also too I think you know and this also brings me back to the to the fact that and our parents probably don't realize that is that in our degrees when we all when we when we do teaching and everything and you and I've spoken about this before many times on a podcast there actually is no training for teachers on neurodiverse neurodiversity or neurodivergent brains so they actually um are not necessarily the behavioral experts as far as as far as neurodivergent brains are concerned even even for those who technically are so psychologists who who really study how Mm. how brains Mm. you know how brains work Mm. and and how development works and pediatricians who have the medical background of understanding body and all the connections and things our brains are so incredible that every single one is different and so yeah. the way that executive function and, you know, you know executive function impairments or, or you know, um, upper brain, lower brain connections and all of these things, mm. the way that that plays out in our children's experience and their mm. behaviour is different mm. for everybody. And so that's why yeah. this, this parent as expert paradigm is so important and we like we talk about it so much because, yeah. because it is really important for people to know that your observations of their everyday behaviour and how they react to lots of mm. different situations and mm. that intuitive felt sense of they're not coping even when they can't communicate it mm. or, you know, all these little nuanced type of things that you get when you are just in relationship with someone that closely mm-hmm. and you have grown a human and birthed a human, however that happened, when you have, you know, and and, and not to even to say, yeah. I suppose it's a problem, it, it's not even to say that you have to have birthed the child, you can you can adopt and then you can learn this. It's about yeah. how often you are paying attention to this person. So you're living with them. Noticing mm. their different facial expressions, noticing their body language, noticing their tone of voice changes, noticing all of these different things. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's vital information because it's more mm. information than any, you know, someone that, you know, often parents will come to me and say, well, my pediatrician, we had an appointment with the pediatrician and he got diagnosed with ADHD. I'm like, well, how, how, how long did they spend? They did a couple of checklists in a half an hour appointment and then gave them some medication to me. Mm. 
like there will be many times when medication is appropriate but but you know mm. a half an hour appointment with someone is not going to mm. it's not going to do it <laughs> there's got to be yeah. more, more to that conversation and more more you know strategies involved than just here's a pill and, mm. and you know we've got to be actually working with well how does this person's brain work and how do they experience mm. the world and how can we make it more palatable more palatable because we know currently our world is not very palatable to neurodiverse brains mm. um and i think it's why you know, it's why we're identifying so many more people now who are mm. neurodiverse because I actually think that the world is not built for people, <laughs> not for humans, individual humans to fully experience what we're here to experience in terms of yeah, our difference and our, and yeah. our, you know, and our abilities and our, you know, our intelligences and our passions and all of the things that we bring as individuals. The system is not set up for that. The system is set up for mm. very much like you must be a certain way in order to succeed mm. and I think what's happening with with more people being identified and with and with talking about really neuroaffirming practices and talking about um supporting individual people to and, and we're talking about mental health and well-being and all of the conversations that we're having that is eventually going to lead to action it's very slow mm. but it will I think what that is is going to really break down what we know and build a world that is actually going to be beneficial for people because at the moment it's, yeah. not, it's not beneficial for really any any living thing because we're kind of destroying the planet but if we can turn this around and we really need to um yeah i think we can really build ways that are responsive to humans and how we're actually yeah 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 no i know I, I agree with you and you know when you were saying that you know about the the world and everything too like in you know at the beginning, when you when you started speaking today, you were saying that our children are having to deal with a lot at the moment. And apart from obviously the pandemic, there's all of the anxiety, the other anxiety that they're having to deal with that we didn't have to deal with when we were growing up, such as the impact, impacts of climate climate change, the impacts of of the environment, and and those sorts of things. So our children like. Um, you know, our generation, like we grew up in knowing what our future would be, knowing what our world would look like, knowing what it would look like in 20, 30 years' time. These, our kids don't know that because of, you know, you know the, the increase in bushfires, the increase in flooding, the increase. So they don't know what sort of a world they're going to be dealing with and living with in 30 to 40 years. And that's creating within them a huge, huge sense of anxiety that, that, that we that we as that we did not grow up with so and you know we know that with we know that with being neurodivergent that unfortunately anxiety and depression pretty much come hand in hand with it yeah. so imagine what we're doing to our neurodiverse kids um uh anxiety levels just that you know well not when i say what we're doing i don't yeah. i don't mean us as parents but i mean the world in general like what's happening just especially generally for those especially for those who genuinely um need the certainty they need more structure they need you mm. know, expectations to be met in order to feel safe mm. and so if you think about how often at the moment in particular even every even everyday things like is your teacher going to be there today at school or are they mm. going to be away are you going to be in a different classroom because your teacher couldn't get there and they couldn't get a replacement teacher because that's happening a lot um, mm. you know all of these sorts of things where there's a lot of uncertainties happening even mm. in our kids day-to-day -day lives where we can't guarantee that things are going to look the same every day and when you really rely on routine and, and you like that structure that's really, yeah. really hard it's really yeah hard. 
and so you know keeping that in mind as well that you know the impacts of the pandemic are, are not just the, there's there's big impacts there's big you know societal impacts mm. there's big you know and there's big adult pressures in terms of cost of living and you know job viability and and you know having no sick leave left and not knowing whether you can go to work or not because you are sick but you're not you know all of these sorts of pressures that we're all feeling you know a lot of that does actually trickle down and directly affect our kids too and mm. and from that intuitive felt sense that they get mm. of the anxiety yeah, yeah. in the house the way that you that you react to them because you don't have the yeah. same capacity that you always do um and also their actual experience of the world right now and yeah. not knowing if they'll be able to go to the parties or or even have their birthday party that they've been mm. planning for weeks because you know half the people might be sick or you might get sick or you know all of these sorts of things um yeah them to stick a thing up their nose you know every couple of days <laughs> because we're all sick and- because it's winter like all of these things it's a lot it's a lot and knowing too and not forgetting that neurodivergent people have um, far more empathy and pick up far more on our stresses and anxiety than neurotypical people. So our neurodivergent kids, if we, you, if we are stressed as parents, they're going to be picking up on that. They're going to be feeling it and they're going to be feeling it 10 times more than any than a neurotypical childhood. It's so interesting. And I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I need this conversation today because I feel like I go to work and I pick up everybody's energy and then I bring that home. And so then I think I imagine my poor kids, they're not just carrying my stuff. They're carrying everybody's oh. stuff that I've picked oh. up and my stuff. Yeah. And their own stuff. I'm like far out. Like, yeah. Really need to yeah. Talk about some strategies because yeah. that's the bit that I want to get into next because I think yeah um, yeah that's yeah. what's going to be helpful and I I need a refresher myself so <laughs> yeah yeah so some things yeah. that we can do after all the doom and gloom there are there are mm-hmm. things we can do to make things yeah. you know to get back to yeah. home, to make things more peaceful there are. at home um one of the things that we talk about a lot is is having routines so as much as mm. we can't predict so much what happens at the moment with their schooling with their you know wherever they're going during the day whether that's jobs whether that's you know preschool wherever whatever age they're up mm. to we can still have some consistency at home and things that happen pretty regularly um and so you know one of the things that we do is we have like a, a morning routine and a night routine so there are things that happen yeah. in the morning Often my eldest in particular likes to do things in a certain order. We give them the option of the order that they're doing them. Often he just imposes his own order on himself. Um, I love it. So, and I am just, I am just getting ready. I should have had this a long time ago because I know better, but I'm getting visuals done up at the moment. Um, So we just don't have a very good printer at the moment. I need to look into getting a better printer, but that's besides the point. Getting some visuals up where there's actually like a tick box so that, that he can actually go around and go, okay, I've done that part, I've done that part and take some ownership yeah. of that. And we're not yes. saying the same things over and over and over so that it's actually presented in a visual way as well, yeah. not just verbally. Um, so I think that's something that's really practical and really yeah. kind of easy to implement, especially with things like Canva is free, um, like there's mm. all these design programs and things you can access where you can put pictures on it and, you know, make it look nice. Yeah. But, yeah, and checklist, and che- like your what your tra- is like a checklist where you know, and it can be a simple act where you just because we did this when our kids when our boys were younger, so and you laminate it. Sorry, so what I'm saying is that in the morning, so sorry, parents are listening. Uh, yeah, you can have a checklist, so you just have brush my teeth, you know, put my whatever it is, whatever their checklist is, to take that anxiety away in the morning for them to be able to follow those steps to be able to walk out the door, to go to school with less anxiety for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the yeah is is perfect but the other thing too that i was going to mention um which is a really really good strategy is um so it's called energy accounting and you can google energy accounting um by professor tony atwood because he and um, michelle uh, michelle garnett they have they have a like program that they use with energy accounting but for the audience to explain to you what energy accounting is is that throughout your day or throughout your child's day, they will have what they call what we call deposits and withdrawals throughout the day. So, um, so for and and you value these things out of a hundred. So, um, and what I often recommend to parents is to sit down and do an energy audit when your kids walk in the door from school. So, uh, for example, um, you know another kid teased them or bullied them that day. That could be like a 70 out of 100 uh, withdrawal or deficit in their day. And if they made a mistake, and the reason why I'm using that is for a lot of neurodivergent kids, making a mistake is huge. That could be like another 70 out of, out of 100. So we're already up to 140 in, in deficit. And then if uh, something else, like there was unpredicted change or something in their day, so if they had a relief teacher and they went to school not knowing they were going to have a relief teacher, that could be 80 or 90 out of 100. So we're up to like 140, 50, 100, no, 240 or 60, right? Mm. So they're just three things. So we look at that. So your kid comes home at three or four o'clock in the afternoon there. Okay. And so then if you look at what deposits they've maybe had that day by the time it's three o'clock. And so the withdrawals are 260 and maybe the deposits are only 100. So what you do is you sit down with your child at the end of that time and you say, and you work out with them what you need to do in their afternoon slash evening to put in deposits because you actually want them to go going to bed in deposit and not in withdrawal because if they go to bed and withdraw then they wake up the next morning and withdraw so that's that's what the concept is but it and and for parents bear in mind that concept does not just work for your child it works for you as well so yeah. this is the thing of filling your cup as well so as, as their cup yeah. so you've it's got to be aware of whether you're on withdrawal or deposit as well but that's that's a that's a really really helpful thing and particularly you know like we've mentioned I know previously in previous podcasts we've seen a lot more school refusal and school school avoidance going on so if we can be really mindful of those deposits and withdrawals throughout the day so that at least when we're we're waking up the next morning. If we're in deposit, we're all, we've already got a head start and that then might make them transition from home to school so much easier. Yeah. 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 And I think the, you know, the benefit of building that into your routine, so whether that is, you know, um, like ideally you want to do that after school so that you have time, right? That's the idea of it, is that you have time to do yeah, deposit exactly. like type activities. But a lot of people these days as well, not only are we doing, you know, are we feeling really burnt out and stretched from just our regular things that we have all these extracurricular activities now that we do. Yeah. So it might work for some families to do that. Maybe when you're cooking dinner or something, you talk about it's it. Six o'clock at night or something. Work, yeah. out, work out where where that's going to fit for your family, but working that yeah. into the routine so it becomes something that you just do because part of teaching your kids to do it would be demonstrating it and doing it for yourself. And so then doing yeah. it for yourself is super beneficial and, and doing it for them is also beneficial. And I think also having conversations like that where you can really personalise, okay, for you, what's a really great deposit? And that might be, you know, mm. be playing with mum and dad for 30 minutes before bed or, 
or you know whatever it is but then you know, also you can talk like about an Epsom salt bath or something like it could right? be a bath you can talk about be, for yourself yeah. what that might be and that you know for me it might be like you know having 30 minutes to have a cup of tea and have a bath or whatever it is where I yeah. be, where I'm not interrupted where people are not yelling out for me where people don't need me yeah. and having that conversation with your child in in that sense that okay we're going to value and do your thing that you need and now you are going to value and do the thing that mommy needs like yeah that kind of conversation is is invaluable because then your kids start to really appreciate and understand not only their own needs and connecting to what they need because that's really important to teach but also other people because when you can understand your own needs it's much easier to then understand the needs of others um, exactly and, and and connecting that to why mummy gets really grouchy if you interrupt your bath or you know those yeah. sorts of yeah. Things. Yeah, yeah 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 it's really yeah. great to be able to have those conversations and you know and working that into the regular routine it might feel a bit hard at first I think a lot of these things will feel quite hard and like you're so exhausted that you just can't get there yeah but the idea of a lot of the things that we talk about is that once you have done that hard bit for the first few days it starts to become a habit and once it's a habit mm. and once it's built into just the normal flow of the day it gets much mm. e- much easier and not only does it get much easier to do it then makes everything else easier because mm. the things you're doing is actually supporting each other mm. um yeah so i think that's really really great so energy accounting is a great one to build into your regular routine um whether that's something you put in a visual or not is it probably depends on the age of your kids and where you're at but um for the for the younger yeah. ones you would you would probably just make that something that you do as a separate you could do mm. you could do it with pictures you could do it with mm. you know what what was something that happened that was bad you can draw a picture mm. or you can write a word depending on what level they're up to sorry and i was going to th- i was thinking too the thing with the energy counting too is that when you do when you do it and if you make it a regular practice what it does is it's giving your children the skills so that so that um from an early age so that they know where their energy levels are at and where i'll use an example like that is like uh for my older son if um like sometimes if we have you know like a you know a family function or something for a birthday or whatever you know socially that can be quite depleting for him because there's more levels of noise and you're socializing things like that but what he can do now in that situation is he can make the call and he can come to me and he can say to me, Mom, I need to go to my room for 10 minutes, put my headphones in and listen to some music. So he can physically and emotionally regulate. So then he can come back out into like the extended family being there and everything and have that like filled his cup back up so that he's got more, more energy reserves there. So that's that's the idea behind it is that when, if we can like, as soon as, you know, like if we implement things like that, it will then give them like later in life, they'll have the strategies there, but they'll also know they'll have an, uh, you know, which of course has to do with emotional intelligence and everything. They'll, they'll know what they need to do to be able to, um, to be able to regulate. Cause the other thing that mm. comes with that kind of scenario too, is that, you know, that I'm sure he would want to be part of that celebration and he genuinely exactly. loves to be there but sensory issues mean that yeah. that makes it really hard. And so yeah. what happens is when you can understand that and when you know that about yourself and you can give yourself those breaks regularly in order to still be there and, and be a part of that celebration. Means yeah. you're getting You're getting the, the social connection and you're getting your connection need cup filled while mm. you're also supporting yourself with your sensory needs not being overfilled. Yes. And and then you're not also having that negative self-talk about, well, I can't do this and I'm a, I'm a terrible family member and, a, you know, all of the things that come with mm. if you physically can't 
go mm. to the party or, or, you know, be involved mm. in the family event. Um, because that, that's something that can come for our neurodiverse kids too, is that they, that, that not only do they have trouble doing the thing, but that when they can't do the thing, they tell themselves that they're stupid or that, yeah, that they can't do it, that there's, there must be something wrong with them because they can't do these things that everyone else seems to be able to do. And so understanding where things are difficult and understanding themselves better really gives them not only tools to, to handle the situation, but then also to be more compassionate with themselves and to give themselves more positive self-talk and, and, you know, understand that it's not about the person that you are. Mm. It's about the mm. way that your the way that your brain is wired and things that might be hard for other people are not hard for you and vice versa. Like mm. we all have differences and all have different things that we're good at and things that we're, we struggle with and all of these kinds mm. of things. So, and it kind of leads into my next thing I want to talk about, which is emotion coaching. We've talked a lot about that previously as well. Um, and particularly uh, we had um, Caroline Ellen on our podcast early days um, and she talks a lot about emotion coaching as well. So she's someone to listen to too, but we, we talk about emotion coaching where we're actually um, supporting our children with the language. Um, so mm -hmm. if they are having a hard time, if their behavior is escalated, if they, if they have really strong emotions to something is not straight away going to the fix it mode. Cause often as parents, we, we just want to mm -hmm. come and we want to swoop in and we want to fix it and we go, okay, you know, and, and it might be that, um, you know, they've got the blue cup instead of the pink cup. And it's like, okay, well, here, here's the pink cup. It's like, well, okay, let, if we just take a step back from there for a minute, um, it's okay that our kids are having a hard time with something and, and, it, and we don't have to fix it if we start there. I think that's really important. But knowing that actually the first step when our kids are having a hard time is acknowledging that they're having a hard time, is mm. going into that space with them and being there in that space with them and saying, it looks like you're really, really angry right now. I can see how your face is scrunched up. I can see how your hands are balled into fists. I can see how you're wanting to kick and hit things. Um, if they actually are, you know, kicking and hitting things, you can say, I'm not willing for you to kick me or hit me or your brother or sister or whatever the case may be. So I'm going to move you over here or I'm going to move these people away or whatever the action is that you're taking and talking them through that. Mm. Um, saying it's okay for you to be angry, but I'm not willing for you to hurt this person. Here's a pillow. You can punch this instead. Um, you know, talking them through that, but then giving them the language of, of, of angry, frustrated, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so starting there and really meeting them in that, meeting them where they're at with their emotions and then giving them the language and tools around that, giving them some ideas of how they might be able to move through that emotion. Um, so this is often something that it's good to practice outside of when they're having the big emotions, mm. but, you know, having maybe a visual where there's some choices of what they can do to work through whatever their emotion is, whether that's jumping up and down, punching a pillow, jumping on the trampoline, putting their headphones on, all these different sorts of things depends on what your child responds to. Um, but having some of those things that, you've, that, that, that you can reach out of your toolbox is really good in the moment. Mm. Um, but just knowing that we need to get, we need to meet them where they're at first help them to co-regulate. That's a really big thing is making sure that, that you are coming to them calm. So doing what you need to do to actually calm yourself down in that moment to then support them to be calming down, um, being on their level, you know, using a calm voice, all of those things really help. And then talking mm. about talking about what happened and then working out together if you can find a solution and supporting them to get the answer or to get, you know, to, to make a decision themselves that will, that will help them is the most powerful way in order to get them to really handle that in the next you know the next time it might happen um and also knowing and coming back to that understanding of where they're at of it depends on where they're of, of, on their age and where they're at developmentally as to whether that's going to be something that you need to do 20 times a day <laughs> for three years or whether that's something that you can start to 
pull back on or or just remind them and and you know and, and just come in in the really big moments and and also an understanding of when the behavior is you know a lot of the times behavior feels escalated but if they're not actually hurting anybody can we just let them yell and scream and stamp and do what they need to do and then come in and use words because if we can let them do those things if we can let them actually regulate themselves by screaming and yelling because often we're taught that that's not acceptable but screaming mm. and yelling is a really great way to release anger is a really great way mm. to release really big heavy emotions that can be sitting on mm. you know, weighing us down if we can allow those things to happen before we even you know come in and say wow gee you must be feeling really angry if we can do that towards like on the decline of of the big explosion of feelings um that can also be really effective and it really comes back to understanding where is that coming from? And that comes from us being curious about what's happening for our children yes. and not judging the behaviour. And, and what we often do, I think, as parents is kind of futurise the behaviour and go, well, if they are like yelling and screaming now at, at seven and eight years old, what are they going to be like when they're 15, 16, 17? It's like, well, mm-hmm. if you let them release the, the emotion, probably they'll handle a lot, a lot better as they, mm-hmm. as they mature and their brain develops and they can access the thinking part of their brain more quickly. Mm-hmm once mm. they're once they're escalated than what they can now because right now that's not a fair expectation to have of them and so little things like that um you know is really important and i think we often sometimes think that we're not doing a great job at that if we're if we're having that conversation over and over and all the time but that's part of it part of it is making that a way that you respond to your child's behavior is with understanding and you know and and acknowledging where they're at and yes that must be really hard for mm. you and 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 you know repeating back what they're saying um, and, you know, really, really being there with them in that moment and showing them that you love and care for them regardless of what feelings they're having in that moment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes reminding them that, you know, it's a feeling and eventually this will pass. It feels like it's all there is right now, but it will pass. Um, And then supporting them with, with, you know, some practical strategies to move through that and, and, you Mm -hmm. know, and moving through the feeling sometimes means just feeling the feeling and sometimes mm. we forget that too it's like how can I like fix this for my child or how can I get them past this really sad thing or this really when they're feeling really angry or all these things that we're taught that is not not appropriate to express well actually it is appropriate to express and we need to express it we need to release it um you know crying and screaming and raging and all of these things is actually a really healthy way to get that feeling out of our body and if we suppress that then it just sort of bubbles and bubbles and it sits there and Mm. then it's going to be bigger next time so um i think that you know that approach with our kids can feel can feel sometimes like it takes longer in the moment um but actually in the long run it, it 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 will help them recover faster because they feel heard because they feel acknowledged because they Mm. you know they have that person they're co-regulating with them um Mm. i think that's a really you know a really important thing to embrace Mm. i suppose especially if we're looking to build on connection and and understanding of our kids behavior is helping them give language to that and talking them through it as well yeah um yeah so what you were just talking about in what, what you were just talking about in regards to motion coaching leads me perfectly into what I would like to finish off with today, which is talking about growth mindset and some growth mindset techniques to share with our audience. Mm. But the emotion coaching leads perfectly into that because emotion coaching is part of growth mindset mm. and knowing that those behaviours are okay yeah, and that they're actually really natural and normal behaviours and allowing them to occur. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to end with some positive tips and again these are as much for the parents listening as they are for their children 
for their children. Mm. Um, and one of them, well, well, there's several, there's three things that I'd really like to share with our audience. And one of them is when you wake up in the morning. So this is, it's been aware, a lot of us when we wake up in the morning, wake up in what's called a deficits mindset. So we wake up thinking, I haven't slept well. I've got little kids, X woke me up three times or, you know, I don't know, maybe they threw up in the night or, or we didn't sleep well because we were stressed or whatever. So we often wake up in a deficits mindset. So Lots of my mornings lately, yeah. <laughs> so what I say to parents is before your feet hit the floor in the morning to try and think of three positive things before your feet hit the floor. Mm-hmm. Now I had a dad say to me recently, I cannot think, he just said to me, I can't think of three positive things. So I said to him, just think of one positive thing, one positive thing before you get out of bed in the morning. Mm. Okay, so that's that's tip number one is to just think of either, so one to three positive things before you feed it. Can I say on that too, Patricia? I think sometimes we take that and go, "Oh, it's got to be like really meaningful things." Sometimes just like, "Yeah, thank you." Thing today, yeah. I have a roof over my head today. Yeah, like some real, like I have breakfast to eat this morning or lunch I can make today, or you know, some of those really simple things that we forget are genuinely, you know, important, (laughs) and also like not everybody always has access to that. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. that's true. and that's exactly what I said to, to that dad that said that to me. I said the fact that you're waking up in a bed every morning in a warm house in and you got a roof over your head. That's just mm-hmm. like that's just so there can be things that we don't think of because yeah. it can be really really small things. Then yeah, and then the other thing is is greeting each other. So greeting like in the morning or when you know or even in the afternoon when you come home. Greeting each other with love, like love in your eyes or love in your heart. So like that really positive greeting of each family member in the morning, you know, whether it's like when we're waking them up or, you know, over the breakfast table or when they come home in the afternoon, evening, things. Just that's just that, that mm. how, how we greet our other family members. Then another tip that I use that, um, and I love this one because I use this too, is to put up post-it notes of, uh, different so around so around the house so but around the house where you'll see them so maybe on your bathroom mirror maybe in the kitchen but things like I am enough that's a really so I am a two of the most powerful words in the English language so something like you know I am enough you know I'm amazing I am funny uh, but it doesn't have to be I am but just positive sayings of that like to to create that again is to create positive mindset and so like on your kid's bathroom like because you know your kids have to go and brush their teeth or have to you know there's certain places in there or behind the toilet door like because they have to sit on the toilet and look at the toilet door so wherever you can think of to put like the post-it notes with like positive sayings or positive affirmations um and then the other thing too is that there are Three daily questions that, and it you, doesn't matter when you ask these, they can be at the dinner table, they can be as you're putting your kids to bed at night, things like that. And the three questions are, what was, what was the best part of your day today is the first question. The second question is, what did you do today that you're most proud of? Mm. And then the third question is, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Mm. So they're just three daily questions to just bring into your family life and whether like, you know, at the dinner table is fine or at um, just as they're going to bed at night because then they're going to, 
why on earth they're having is that one thing that they've got to look forward to tomorrow? What, you know, whatever. And it can, like, again, Sammy, what you said, it can be the smallest thing. It doesn't have to be anything massive. It can be the littlest little thing that they might be looking for. And the thing that, you know, the, the best part of their day today can be that, you know, I had a hug with mummy in the morning. Mm. That could be the best part of the day, mm. you know? Mm. Um, yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be anything you know yeah mind-blowing or earth-shattering yeah 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 I love that and I love that it's such a it's such an effective tool to support our kids but it but it is also a really super like effective tool for supporting ourselves mm. like mm. talked about the energy accounting as well and so it's the same thing whereas if you can be doing these things for yourself you're already giving yourself more capacity to do it with your kids and doing it mm. together is mm. is is not only beneficial for both of you, but it's also the best way to teach somebody is if you're doing it and showing showing what you're doing. And exactly. same, the same thing goes for emotion coaching is like emotion coaching yourself is saying, yeah. oh my gosh, like I yelled really loudly at you then. Like what? <laughs> that wasn't acceptable. Yeah. I should like, that's, I'm not willing for that to, you know, that's not acceptable for me to have done that. I wonder mm. why I did that. And then starting talking yourself through, okay, well, I think I'm feeling a bit angry because of X, Y, and Z. I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed because of this, that, and the other. And you make it child appropriate. Obviously, you're not going to talk about all of your adult issues, but you mm. can you can mention a few things that are, you know, weighing on you or, or exactly. causing that, that situation where you yelled and so that you can make it really clear it's not your child's fault when you yell at them mm. because that's automatically mm. the assumption they have. And that it's, you know, it's something that you can then emotion coach yourself through and say, okay, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in and yell really loudly in my bedroom into my pillow, get all the yelling out, yeah. and then I'll come back and then we can talk about things. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think it's really important to be doing these things for ourselves and also just to remind ourselves, remind each other that this is hard work. Parenting is hard work. It's not paid work, but it is hard work. Um, yeah. especially when we were trying to do it really consciously and when we're trying to do it differently from how it's always been done, when we are really trying to break generational cycles that we're all going, going through or have gone through, mm. um, that, it, that it is okay to find it hard <laughs> and mm. it's okay to have days where you're not terribly proud of how you parented. Like that's all very, very normal. Um, yeah. and, and to just remember that the amount of compassion that you have for your child, you also want to have for yourself. Um, and that any parenting tool or, you know, thing that you're learning about and trying to do with your kids, you can also do to yourself and with yourself, um, whether that's in front of your kids or not, doesn't matter. Um, but it all, it all is going to be helpful to get you to a place where you have more capacity to support your kids. And I think, you know, it, and just reminding yourself as well, it's hard work, but it's also really world-changing work. If you're raising mm. somebody who is in touch with their emotions, who understands what their emotions are, who understands what their needs are and knows how to get them met, who understands that other people have needs and can make space slash support them in getting them met, you're raising people who are really going to change the world. Um, and I think that's why parenting is so important. Yep. I agree. 100%. Most important job in the world. That's Absolutely. what I always say. Absolutely. Because we're raising, yeah, future generations. Yeah. 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 Yep. So a big thank you to you, Patricia, for joining me today. And bye thank you. <laughs> and thank you to our listeners. I hope that there has been lots of helpful things from our session today. Um, and as always, reach out to us with any questions. We are happy to answer email, messages, through social media, whatever your preferred means of contact is. Um, and hope you'll join us for our episode next time.
Thank you. Thank you for listening into Nurturing Neurodiversity with me, Patricia Falchetta from Social Living Solutions. And me, Sammy Ann from Maze. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star review and share us with anyone you think may benefit from our discussion. To continue the conversation, come and find us on our socials. All the links to find us are in the show notes and we'll hope you, you will join us again next time where we'll continue to learn how to create a truly inclusive world for us and for our children.